0: so excited to bring back weekly podcasts. Um, as many of you know, I made a switch to bi-weekly podcasts, and I also opened a membership space called the Full Spectrum Space, in which I was recording these incredible conversations about general reproductive well-being, reproductive health, reproductive rights, all the journeys that come with being uterine-bodied, people, people who are born um, to menstruate and to make decisions about pregnancies and babies and navigating things like breast cancer and fertility and um, all the things, right? All the things that come with these um, female, biologically female bodies. And so I was sort of flip-flopping between these full spectrum space conversations, which were much wider than the abortion conversation and the abortion conversations. And now I'm just bringing it all back to the weekly podcast, which is why the title has been semi-shifted to speaking light into abortion and beyond, (laughs) because we're going to talk about it all. And I just think that's a really important switch for all of us to start making in our heads is like... Our abortions are a part of our whole reproductive story, our whole reproductive experience. And I want to make sure I'm creating spaces where it's not like we just do abortion work and then we move on. We go back to our lives. Like abortions are a part of our entire reproductive well-being. And I want to make sure um, that I'm talking about abortion in that way, that it's a piece of our journey. It's part of what makes us who we are, but it's not all of what makes us who we are. So... Um, we're back on. We're back on to weekly podcasts. And with that announcement, I also have like, so I have the full spectrum membership space, which is now a monthly membership. And we have group group coaching calls, we have challenges, we have uh, resource sharing, but we talk about books we read, it's an amazing place to build community and grow together. Uh, I also have a one week Abortion co- like program. And in that one week, I am meeting with people who want to do some like kind of compacted work around their abortions. And we meet together once a day for 30 minutes and we let the tools that help us manage our anxiety, our stress, our overwhelm, the spiraling thoughts in our head, we learn tool after tool after tool after tool and explore how those are. How you can use those in your daily life. So that's a one week program now available um, in the Work With Me tab on my website. And what used to be my 12 week program, where I would work with people for 12 weeks after their abortions, is now a six week program. Part of why I'm making these changes is I'm in a new certification program where we're really studying the neuroscience of the brain and change and how we make effective change in our life. So because I have more tools, it actually makes me feel more, com- like it, it gives me more confidence to have greater change in a faster amount of time. 12 weeks was the amount of time that felt right to me. It felt like the, the, the nice balance of really helping someone talk about their abortion and then um, move forward in their lives. And now I'm really loving this six-week option, so... If you go to my website, under the Work With Me tab, you'll see these three new ways to work with me. I'm excited about all of them, and I'm excited about growing with you and moving through um, the rest of this year and beyond. So enjoy today's conversation, and I'll see you in whichever program you choose. All right. Ooh. I posted on the Facebooks recently (laughs) and there was a long line of comments and shock and I don't know, you know, all the things. And um, Dr. Melissa Bird here, my friend Missy Bird called me because she does that. (laughs) It's uh, it's always like, hi, you doing okay? (laughs) Let's talk um so missy you've been on uh, did we record twice or
1: just once I think we've done two interviews together my love
0: we do oh my gosh what am I doing and I told
1: my I told my infertility story on your podcast too I think I read my story yeah about why I'm pro-choice
0: yeah Mm -hmm. okay well here you are again um I think like what I imagine this conversation being is like kind of back to basics. Let's let's come back to the basics so everyone can understand and do what's possible for them to fight for us all. Um, but why don't you introduce yourself quick and then we'll start talking about abortion and politics and just human rights in general and how we start losing them through government.
1: <laughs> Great. So <laughs> for those of you who are listening to this you <laughs> should know it's six o'clock in the morning where I am um I've had one cup of coffee thank goodness I'm Dr. Melissa Bird I am a lay preacher and the life coach and a public speaker I am also the former lobbyist for Planned Parenthood of Utah um and before that I actually spent time with Equality Utah which is Utah's LGBT political action group and um so I'm no stranger to doing weird political things in conservative environments.
0: I was born mm. in
1: Utah. I often say as a joke, because it makes my best friend mad, I was born and raised in Utah, but I'm okay.
0: <laughs> but I'm okay. <laughs> <laughs>
1: um, just kidding. I, I miss Utah terribly, actually, uh, because it's pretty. Um But back to the topic at hand, which is the reason I called you. So I'm a middle-aged woman, so I'm old-fashioned. So when something happens, I actually pick up the phone to call a a friend, to phone a friend. And um, part of the reason I checked in on you that day, of course, is because of all the shenanigans happening in South Carolina and Tennessee and all the things that have started to happen since um, the Supreme Court made the decision to overturn Roe versus Wade. And one of the reasons I called you is because what I posted on your Facebook page was I told them this was coming Um, because when I worked at Planned Parenthood in Utah, I actually had the um, Americans United for Life playbook. They actually have a playbook they give to legislators every single year. That's about 1500 pages long. And I mean, it's huge and it has all the policies they're putting forth for the year, all the talking points and all of the arguments that the legislators need to pass legislation. And the thing that I think is so important about understanding that is they are very well organized. So so this is part of an intertwined movement that has been going on, I would say since Reagan became the president um, because Nixon actually started Title X family planning to prevent abortions from happening. So he started Title 10. For those of you that don't know what that is, it is- Like me. Yeah. Missy's going to kill me. She's like, Amanda, get your shit together. (laughs) No, no, this is why we're doing this, Amanda, because nobody understands this, right? And because we don't teach this in school, okay? (laughs) So Title 10 is the family planning program through Medicaid that if you can't afford birth control, it will be paid for by Medicaid. So mm-hmm. in every state in the country, if you can't afford birth control, Title X will pay for it for you. Okay. And Richard Nixon is the one who created that policy because abortion had just become legalized by Roe versus Wade in 1973, and they wanted to prevent abortion. So they put forth Title 10. A Republican. Okay. Also, just for your listeners at home, please understand that Roe versus Wade was a Supreme Court decision. It was a 7-2 decision. So seven judges voted in favor of it, two dissented. The judges that affirmed it were Republican nominees. They were nominated by Republican presidents. The two that dissented were nominated by Democratic presidents. So, Amanda, it's only been since Roe versus Wade became law by the Supreme Court that we've had the flip and the flip happened because of Roe versus Wade. So I think it's important for all every every person in the land to know that that the media frenzy and this bipartisan crap we get rolled up into. Is very recent. It's only in, I'm 48, I'm I'm 48 years old. I'll be 49 this year. It's only in my lifetime. I was born in 1974. Like Mm -hmm. it's only in my lifetime that this has occurred. And this is why I think it's so important for your listeners to understand this. We have to know our history so we don't repeat our history. And that's what I think is so important about what's happening with the overturning of Roe versus Wade, is that. Because of of this decision, what we are facing as people, particularly people with children, is that our children are going to have to think long and hard about their reproductive decisions, no matter how old they are. Because there will be places in this country where you can get an abortion and, and birth control and birth control in places in this country where you can't get abortion and birth control. And here's the scenario. Back in the day, um, when I wanted to marry my ex-wife, we couldn't get married in Utah. So we went to California to get married. And then she wanted, about six years later, she wanted a divorce. And the law said in California, you have to live in the state for at least six months to have residency to get divorced. So you had to move back. So I, we never lived in California. Oh, oh, you just got married there. We got married in California. Oh. So one of us had to move to get divorced. Now I was fine with that, but I left my career as a, as a lobbyist. I left my whole life. I left my family. I left my friends. I left everybody. I didn't even want the divorce to move to California. Oh. Was the best thing I ever did, but to move to California to get divorced. This is what's going to start happening with reproductive health issues. People are gonna have people aren't gonna be getting STD treatment. Like, this isn't just about abortion, and that's what I want people to understand. This is about the full gamut of reproductive health care. I can't even like
0: as a mother of a young adult, like I'm just imagining you know, sending our kids to states, just like like the college they really want to go to or the whatever the, the, the thing is, right? It's like, oh no, you can't go there. <laughs> I mean, not that we have control as parents, but you get the
1: idea. But Amanda, that's what's going to start happening. I And know, in states state where abortion is legal and birth control is easily accessible, there's also going to be a pressure put on those resources by people who are coming from other places. And, and, and I know, I think I was thinking about our conversation this morning when I woke up at 5am and, and, um, and have no fear. I'm a morning person, but I was, I was thinking about it and I was thinking about how beautiful it is that institutions of power have convinced us as women, as mothers, as, as human beings, that it's rude to talk about politics what a genius maneuver to convince wait wait wait. are
0: you saying that like we've been
1: socialized that
0: it's okay for men to talk about politics but not women oh yeah i mean i do this all the time because my memory is like a goldfish but um i i don't know that i've really thought about it that way i just kind of have thought like oh it's rude and divisive to talk about politics at all but you're totally right much much so more for women interesting god forbid we have any power
1: right yeah i remember sitting around our family dinners Hmm. and my grandpa and my uncle and my cousins would start talking about politics or like
0: wouldn't okay i'm thinking about like the period dramas that I like to watch where the men go into the like men's smoking room or whatever and then they talk about all the important stuff and then the women go either stay or go into a different room to talk about the whatever not to talk about the linens. not things that actually control power and <laughs> like okay okay well again I'm sure this is something I've thought about or talked about before but I'm very slow to, for things to sink in. So this is this is very interesting. Wow.
1: But don't you think this is why we, we hesitate? I think particularly as middle-class slash upper-class women, like w- there's this weird line where we're like, oh, I don't really, I don't know. And my grandmother and my aunt were very involved in the League of Women Voters. Like, it's not like my grandmother and my aunt didn't talk about politics but they do it with everybody else. Right, right. It's like the, it's like the underground thing to to talk about. Right. And so, and so I think this is what I want everyone who's listening to this podcast to understand it. We are no longer in a position where it's, it's, we're going to be okay, but you know, they might not be okay. And maybe I'll try and help by donating money or something. This is going to affect every human being in this country for at least the next 50 or 60 years, if we don't start paying attention. And for me, as the mother of a son and a daughter, so my son is 12 and my daughter's 15 and then my other daughter's 20. So, you know, that's, we're kind of past the, the thing here. But we have to start talking about our sons. Because we don't do that when we talk about abortion. We don't talk about there's two halves to that equation. (laughs) It's not just women accessing abortion. And this has been my constant argument with feminist politics is why are we always, where are the men? Where are the men? We don't even let them in the damn door. Yeah. Yeah. I
0: mean, I see it just in my house. Like I talk to my son about everything. He's nine. Like, (laughs) he digests a little bits at a time, but we talk about abortion. We talk about sex. We talk about menstruation. We talk about like, he knows more than most adult women, but then my husband, yes, we talk about it all. He's amazing. He's super supportive of the kids and talking to them about it, but he's not out there doing anything. He's not, I mean, he's voting. So that's great. But like, he's not, I mean, I could be wrong i don't think he's talking to his friends about it and i don't think he's talk- he's certainly not making any political action it, but
1: and he's a great, but with, guy. You, but with you like my husband won't because he's terrified of some angry people coming after him for saying the wrong thing yeah yes and that's why oh, i think that right there politics right there that. that's
0: you know, a friend of mine sent me a sticker recently. I made like a TikTok about it. It's, oh, damn it! See, memory like a goldfish. It said, "I'm not sorry for your fragile masculinity." <laughs> I know. I think it's funny, and you do not. <laughs> I I don't. And let me tell you why. Uh, I, I have don't. to think it's
1: funny. I have to. But keep going. You can. I you don't. Can say- I don't because having done this for so long and been, you know, it's not like when I was working for Planned Parenthood in Utah, I was lobbying a bunch of women. It was men who, Republican men who controlled the legislature. And there was not one bill, every bill I introduced, I've written and passed six pieces of legislation in Utah for LGBT rights and, and reproductive health. They were all sponsored by Republican men, all of them because it was the only way I was gonna win. But I also took it as an opportunity to teach them what this meant for their families, for their children, for their grandchildren. Like this was an opportunity to say, fertility is at play here. And I know fertility is important to you because of your religion. I understand why it's important for you to have big families, right? And this is where we lose track of the bigger picture. Because yes, is fragile masculinity a problem? A hundred percent. But it is not like, it is not like my husband had a whole bunch of really strong, amazing women teaching him how to respect women. He did not. My husband was kicked out. Right, of the house
0: exactly. So clean. like
1: he my was husband hungry. did not get the care my son is getting. No, no, we were left to the streets. Like all these yeah. TikTok videos about how we were all like, kicked outside until it was dark. And then we came back in. That was my, my husband's entire life. He in wasn't allowed in the house.
0: Mine too. We were just talking about that a couple of days ago.
1: So, so yeah. here we are raising and in, getting into middle age and we're sitting here going, why, where are the men? Why won't the men support us? Well, I have, I, I don't blame them at all. I, I switch. Okay.
0: Like, I don't- uh, I know I always get edgy with you about this like because <laughs> Yes, I hear you. I totally hear you. I don't disagree. And what point is, like, we're also coddling. Like, fucking figure it out. Like... like I'm not talking about coddling. I get... I get that you weren't... That there's work to be done here. But, like, also...
1: We don't have to do that work for you. Like, get together and figure it the fuck out. (laughs) I actually think we do. Because we have to approach this with compassion. And you would never look at your nine-year-old and say, get it together and figure it out. I'm sorry, you can't do that math problem. Get your shit together and figure it out. You would never. But he's nine. He doesn't have access to resources. Right. But here's the. Neither do men. How many men do have access to resources? How many men do you know that could show up at a march and say, "I don't know anything about labia, vaginas, clitorises, or uteruses. Can you help me understand that?"
0: I know men show up to marches like my husband, but. Okay. Um,
1: they're not, we don't give them the opening to even be able to ask the question about, I don't understand. I have been raised in a society that says you figure out the birth control. Okay. So instead of making fun of them,
0: instead of making fun of them for not understanding, we can educate.
1: We have never taught men why a clitoris is important ever
0: right but I still am confused like they can figure it out
1: I do not want a man to try and figure out what <laughs> but
0: I don't mean I I mean like there's so many resources out there right now okay no
1: yes I'm- and who are the women that are lovingly and compassionately sharing those resources and Amanda how many women do you actually know that even understand the resources themselves very few. This is my point. It's not about coddling. It's about looking around at the society that has been created by conservative versus liberal politics. And remembering that there is a majority of humanity that's right in the middle that doesn't know how to have good sex, Mm -hmm. that doesn't, that doesn't understand Mm -hmm. what an abortion actually is. That, that was left to the wolves Mm -hmm. our entire childhoods Mm -hmm. none of us i think
0: you just said the words that helped click it for me which is like i mean i'm in this work because i'm a very black and white person (laughs)
1: oh bless
0: your heart you know I'm like I that is a battle I fight every day is remembering that I'm like literally my work is in the middle but it's we do the work we need right it's because I my tendency is to be just so very black and white um and so the words you said were the majority of humanity is right in the middle and I just needed that reminder (laughs) like Hello. Lesson learned for the seven thousand four hundred sixty fifth time. <laughs> Whatever. I don't even know that was not even a real number, but I just needed that. That that's where compassion comes into me. For me, is when I come back to the middle because
1: it's just so. I'm like, yeah. this is why. This is why anti-choice people win because they're strategic. And they talk to each other, yeah, with compassion and love. They do not get angry at each other. And perseverance. And they, they have, <laughs> and and they. This is why. This is why. We are missing the boat when it comes to talking to people about abortion and reproductive justice. Because we're not talking about the entirety of what this looks like for people. And we allow ourselves to go to anger before we go to compassion. And I think having done this for so long, personally and professionally, I mean, since I was 19, so for the last 30 damn years, this has been maybe even earlier, because I, I think maybe I started when I was like 17, when I was in high school, we... We have to understand that when we give people information, my husband did not start out as a pro-choice person. When he met me 13 years ago, he was a, a army sergeant Republican from Orange County, California. Like he did not understand choice at all. He didn't get it at all. It has taken me 13 years for him to even be able, and I married him. Yes. Yes, everybody. I married a (laughs) pro-life Republican army sergeant. Hey, love, love. But also I could see the conversations we could have with each other Uh without hate and vitriol and, and shaming. And it took me years to understand from him why my anti man, Ball-busting feminism wasn't helpful. Yeah.
0: Oh, okay. But here's one thing you said. We allow ourselves to go to anger before compassion. I'm a little tripped up on the word allow. Because people who've been oppressed are going to naturally, like based on the human condition,
1: mm-hmm. the
0: psychology or at that point, it is a natural human reaction to go yep. to anger. And so the word allow trips me up just a little bit because there's almost like a shaming that gets tied in there. Not intentionally,
1: but like, like it is so such let, me, a- let me change it. Let me change it to, we allow ourselves to stay in anger. Yeah. We make a choice. Yeah, and I've made that choice a million times. Listen, my kids asked me the other day; they're like, "That is the difference."
0: And I wasn't blame. I wasn't blaming you for your. No, no, no. I think this is an important part of the conversation because. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. that is exactly it. Because I think what we do a lot is we many. Yeah,
1: as a member of get angry.
0: Yeah, and then we shame ourselves for getting angry, and then it's easier to just like walk away or stay angry than to actually slow down. yeah. So yes, that feels very true. We allow ourselves to stay
1: in anger. Stay there <laughs> instead of going, oh, how can I have compassion for this person who totally doesn't hear, can't hear me right now? Yes. Or how can I have compassion for myself? Yeah. That I know I need to do something. I know I need to say something. I know that I'm confused. I know that I need to ask questions and I don't know where to go and I don't know what to do and I don't know what to say how can I have compassion and love for myself in this moment? Yeah. And how, and how, and who do I ask? And then, and then how do I find the resources to go and look, you know, who, you know, who, who do I know that I could talk to about reproductive health and reproductive justice? What is this reproductive justice and what's the difference between reproductive justice and reproductive health? I mean, you were just talking about sister song. Right, like Sister Song as a collective has been around since Roe. Like it's these things are old. And for those of you that are listening, Sister Song as a collective is, focuses right. that was started by Black women for Black women to focus on the entirety of justice and reproduction, which means the right to have children when you are ready and able to have those children in a safe, healthy environment right so it goes way beyond birth control and abortion to the right to raise we children have clean adults. drinking water yeah. <laughs> clean drinking water and education right like yeah. so so but this what to the basics of what is happening with abortion and birth control in this country this is not just going to f- affect those people The ripple effect of what is happening in these states, charging women with murder and giving them the death penalty. And that law will pass because they have created a House and a Senate and a governor that will pass a law like that. The idea of threatening women with the death penalty for abortion is, it it should horrify all of us because that is not pro life it's the death penalty okay so this is a perfect
0: example of how we read cuz this is how this started right i would i was shared a few things on facebook just and i i tend away from anyway okay so i shared a few things on facebook and a lot of people got angry and this is a perfect place where it's like oh no now i'm pissed Oh no. (laughs) This is where people go to the place of how is this happening and what can I do? And that is what your lead, well, that's where you're going. Right. Is like, how is this happening?
1: Government. (laughs) Well, well, let me say, how is this happening? And what do I do? My first reaction to is like, where the heck have you been? Like, did you not notice what was going on? Right. And so our first, well, but I think is- the answer to where have
0: you been a lot is protecting myself because I can only handle so much of this at one time, which leads to denial. And I'm not saying it's good, but, um, Just the way the men, right? Are protecting themselves.
1: (laughs) But I I also think my reminder, the way I get myself out of judging other people and being like, I cannot believe you did not know that this was a possibility, right? Because yes, I say that. And then I go, when and where would any of those people who are like, oh no, now what do I do? When would they ever have had an opportunity to understand the enormity of what we are talking about with politics. And I'll tell you why this is the important thing. It's important because ever since Reagan was the president, we have been living in a world of divisive, polarizing, us versus them politics. So the reason they didn't understand how important this was is because we have lived under a structure of such impressive misogynistic patriarchal white supremacy that that our internalized misogyny meter goes off and we can't understand why we're feeling this cognitive dissonance within ourselves right and so so everybody's everybody's threshold is different because All of us are so uniquely different. And this is where I want people to start having conversations with their friends who don't seem political is, is to go to your pro-life friends and say, and I did this with some of my friends and say, did you see that they have introduced this bill in South Carolina that they want to charge women with the death penalty? Like, could you please explain to me where your Threshold pro life person is for life, yeah, because because an eye for an eye is not how we should be dealing with reproductive health, especially because we know why people get abortions, and it's not because they're you know hooking around. That is that is such an old myth. That is such an effective myth, right? Yeah. Like it's such an effective myth, and so this is where that compassion comes back into play. We didn't teach politics in school. The only reason I understand politics is because I took AP government.
0: How many
1: people were taking AP government? (laughs) Not many. That was the elite thing, right? Those are for the fancy, smart people.
0: Yeah. The fancy, smart people get to understand how our world operates. But don't you
1: think that 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 was intentional? Yeah. It's intentional not to teach us about government because Ugh. how do you maintain power and control over other people and their bodies if yeah. you don't, if you teach them about these things? So can
0: I introduce two of my favorite words? Yeah, And they're of course. And it's literally just, of course, they don't know how it happened. Of course, they don't know what to do. And as soon as you introduce those two, I don't know about you, but like for me, as soon as I introduce those two words, I'm like, oh, now I have compassion like of course they don't know how this happened yeah this is why they don't know and we come come back to the men right like of course they don't know what the clitoris looks like
1: they don't have a clue
0: as soon as you introduce those two words it's like I don't know my whole body is just like okay let's start at the beginning again
1: (laughs) Yes. And that's exactly right. Like, like this is why I loved Pantsuit Politics when they first started their, um, their podcast, the the podcast Pantsuit Politics. If you go back to the very first season, the first two or three seasons of that podcast, I'm actually interviewed on one of those early seasons. If you go back to the early seasons of Pantsuit Politics, they do such incredible Mm -hmm. explainers about how government works. No, I've never gone back. Oh, their explainer about um, our budget. and, and, And by the way, this does affect abortion and reproductive health, by the way. So their explainer on the fact that we haven't had a balanced budget since Clinton was the president. So we're going on continuing resolutions since Clinton was the president. That's half of our lifetime. Yeah, that I mean, Clinton was the first president I voted for Me too. <laughs> so for half of our lifetimes. They've been, can you imagine in your household budget or your business budget, if you were going on continuing resolutions mm-hmm. every year, you're like, well, mm-hmm. we will just kind of pretend nothing happened. Mm-hmm. They're explainers on how government works, the differences in the branches. They are one of the best resources mm-hmm. for understanding the executive branch the judicial branch, and the legislative branch. And if all of those things, as you are listening to this podcast, sound like some foreign language, that is where you start. You start by understanding that every city, county, state, all have, every single one has a executive branch. It's either your mayor, your governor, right? Right. And then you have the legislative branch, which is your city council, your county council, your legisl- your state legislature, and then you've got your judicial branch. You have city judges, you have county level judges, and you have state level judges. Like just understanding that simplicity and those people move up through, for example, the judiciary, the way you get to the Supreme Court of the United States of America is you move up through the judiciary the way you get to the governor is to run for city council or school board
0: well i was going to say like i feel like the unwords unsaid words here are also
1: school board yes <laughs> school board is the most most powerful yeah. legislative body the way
0: the- we underestimate the power of the school board is pretty gigantic
1: yeah and that is where yeah everything happens and so I what I want your listeners to hear is that if you start to understand the three branches of government and you start to understand that those happen not just at the federal level and you stop focusing on federal level politics and start getting local, you have so much power and control.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: local local political races are won by one vote. yeah they are they are the races where you can make the most difference and have the most connection to your elected official. And that is the other piece of advice I want to give everybody. Introduce yourself to your elected officials from the the school board all the way up to the federal government. It's a simple email. You can email all of them. You can get all of them online. It's really easy to Google who's my representative and you get a whole list all the way up to the president And 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 you have access to their emails because they are public record. And every time we move, this is what I do. I say, hi, my name is, you know, Dr. Melissa Byrd. I'm a mother of three. I'm married to a disabled veteran. I am bisexual. I am Native American. Um, These are the top three issues that are important to me. Mm -hmm. And then I tell them and I say, thank you so much for your service. I know that being an elected official is really complicated and difficult. (laughs) And I'm really grateful that you are willing to do it here's uh-huh. my address. Here's my phone number. Thank you so much for everything. If you want to talk to me about any of these issues that I think are important because you work for me, they work for us. Yeah, We pay them.
0: And remember number. they
1: work for us even when we don't vote for them. That's right. And the <laughs> best part about getting in touch with our elected officials, even though they don't agree with us, or even if they do, is that Amanda they don't hear from their constituents. When yeah. I was lobbying the legislature, the statistic was if they hear from five or more people in their district, they consider that majority rule. Five. I feel like we should make those words you just said like a like a template. Here's
0: the template to send to your legislators. I like oh, I have it. Everybody do.
1: Okay, I have great. it. I'll just send it to you. Because, <laughs> because... You would be astounded at how often your elected officials get back in touch with you and say, oh my gosh, thank you so much for being nice. I know I (laughs) do it all the time. And I'm surprised every time I'm like, oh, they really do pay attention. (laughs) They just put their pants on one leg at a time, just like the rest of us. They are citizen. They are citizens. They live in your neighborhoods. These are our neighbors. I love the part you said, like something
0: like I don't, I'm going to botch it, but like, thank you for your willingness to do this, right? Because so many of us want different politics, but we don't want to do the work. We don't want to be the, we don't want to be on the town board. We don't want to be in the school board. We don't want to be. And I mean, I've done a lot of volunteering in my days and it's hard. It's hard.
1: And when we recognize that they have equal passions to ours, Listen, I used to go up against Gail Ruzika from the Eagle Forum all the time. But she and I, we had beautiful conversations about our lives and our Mm -hmm. families and and who we were in the world. We had such a good relationship. She came and roasted me at a bar. Like my, my arch nemesis, right? In the world of divisive politics, the Eagle Forum is what completely they hated Plain Parenthood and I was supposed to hate them and I didn't love Gail like I wasn't going to invite her over for dinner but like we could talk and the fact that mm-hmm. she held me in such high esteem she pinned me with an eagle form pin like yeah and like you hated her her politics we, yeah
0: exactly you hated her politics but you came to compassion in order to love her as another human being.
1: No, and, and I hate the statement love the sinner, hate the sin. And how Wait, much what more did you say love, about, the sinner love the sinner hate the sin? That's a that's a oh. evangelical Christian thing that they use yeah. against gay people. Not but much. there is a resonance to that. Yeah. That like like if we could just look at each other as human beings having a human experience that is messy and ridiculous. And we're all muddling around going, oh my gosh, what am I doing here? Yeah. What is my purpose? Who am I? Yeah. Because most of us are mucking around in the gray, messy middle, which I know you love, Amanda, but most of us are really wandering around going, what the heck? What What am I? What?
0: Yeah. Ooh. Okay. What do you say to the person like me who has the privilege of living in a very liberal like very liberal state like a place where I don't have like my vote my entire life at least has been very safe like like it's it's very easy for me with my politics to live where I live um so what do you say to the person and I know there aren't that many really, if you think about it, there aren't that many people in places like where I live. Um, but the person who has like, I'm gonna call it like geographical privilege, right? Like my vote in the state I live in is already making a lot of choices. Like, like my state is making a lot of movement, not all but a lot of movement toward what I desire. So how can I be effective outside of my geographical
1: area? Do you know what I'm saying? Am I making sense? I do know what you're saying. I think, I think the first <laughs> thing that pops into my head is to look at reproductive politics like COVID. You cannot stop the spread when we are trying to take away people's bodily autonomy. So just because it's not happening in your backyard right now, doesn't mean that you are safe. And the minute you realize, like, if you look at how COVID spread okay. across. The- okay. I remember- I'm getting it now. Yeah. I remember watching the maps. Right. 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 Now it started here. And yeah, on the- yeah. Oh, that's good. I like this. Moved in. Right. <sighs> right. So you're- At the beginning, you're like, glad I don't live there. Right. <laughs> glad I don't live there. And so the first thing is to think of it like COVID. It's going to spread. Reproductive politics spreads, okay? So if what you want is bodily autonomy and the right to make your own choices and decisions, then you have to start convincing people who have the same thoughts as you do to either run for office or you have to run for office yourself. And let me tell you, I'm not running for office, but I sure do support candidates. And I get asked all the time, but I support candidates who are more moderate, by the way. I do not love the extreme fringes of things because Mm -hmm. most of us live in the messy middle, right? You and I have had this conversation before. Um, The second thing that I think is really important for people to to for people like you to understand is that politics is not dirty when we start to engage in understanding our political system and we start realizing how fascinating it is and how young it is as a system mm, and how messy. It is when we get curious about our political system, we start to understand that we cannot make assumptions about where people live. And that is what is key. People assume that because I live in Oregon, I'm living this lovely liberal mm. place, right? No, that's Portland and Portland yes. actually is the most racist places I've ever been to. Oregon was founded as a whites only sanctuary. Let I me mean, just have everybody listening kick that in. Oregon course, was founded as a whites only sanctuary. Okay. Yeah, I mean,
0: founding father. I mean, Lewis, and Clark, Lewis and Clark Massachusetts
1: has a pretty ugly history. Yeah, too. right. So, so people <laughs> see Oregon and they think liberal bastion. And what yeah. I'm here to tell you is that we are where the Proud Boys started. Yeah. But we also have to not make assumptions when, when we assume that people's geography dictates their accessibility to reproductive health care. We're wrong. I did all of my dissertation research on access to contraception and abortion in rural California. Those yeah. people have access to nothing. Yeah. Nothing. Right. So we also have to remember that we live in a really gigantic country yeah. and there are rural places even in quote unquote, liberal states where people do not have access to resources. Mm-hmm. And so the assumptions we make around where people live are what's keeping us from understanding that we have an impact on geography. It's just geography.
0: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So yeah. I think about know, like the my local hospital is like really well known for its birth care. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it's really easy to be like, oh, this just We have, like, such a great birthing unit, but, like, that doesn't mean all birthing people where I live, because I live in a very rural area, too, are getting these, like, euphoric births. No, the reality is there's a lot of poverty, there's a lot of lack of nutrition, there's a lot of drugs, there's a lot of... (laughs) Don't just assume, oh, everyone's all set. No, (laughs) even where I live... I can be doing more to help the people who need it.
1: I don't think it's about doing more. I think it's about understanding that not everybody is us. Yeah. Yeah. Just if we just were willing, if we were just willing, if the entirety of the of the 53% of the population that is women, if we just started with not every. I don't have to do anything. I don't have to do more. In fact, I would well, cost more intensity. compassion, right. more understanding, right. Right. more expansion, if, more curiosity. If, if is all what we did. If all we did yes. was say, "Oh, I guess not everybody has this life." Yes.
0: Yes. More awareness. <laughs> more.
1: That, all we did is just flip that switch and go. Oh, I guess not everybody is me. The ripple effect would be huge. Yes huge huge yeah yeah and we all have access to that and we have got to stop making assumptions about our neighbors yeah I
0: love the um I haven't read it in a long time and I talk about rereading it a lot the four the four agreements Mm -hmm. that is a hard one for me Mm yeah don't make assumptions I just this was a conversation in my house this week. I was like, and I made an assumption and I was wrong. <laughs> it was a parenting thing. It
1: had nothing to do with any of this, but it,
0: it all has to do with all but of it.
1: Does. <laughs> because when we do that in one part of our life, we're willing to do it in other parts of our exactly. life. Okay. So. I don't. Uh, okay. I'm, so, I'm happy to explode your brain this morning. It <laughs> <that> was fun.
0: <laughs> <laughs> it was good times. Um, is there a one key takeaway here and then tell people where they can find you?
1: Uh, the one key takeaway is so simple. When you want to criticize, try kindness instead. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Have a little empathy for the stories that people have.
0: Mm-hmm. You should
1: never know how they got here. Yeah and ask them their stories. This is all about storytelling. It's all about sharing stories of who we are and how we came here.
0: But the question popping into my mind is like, what might their positive intention be? Not positive in the same definition as my positive, but like all humans are acting toward some kind of positive reinforcement. So what might theirs be? Like, just try on. Why might they be doing what they're doing? Shifting your
1: perspective. Um, And and talk to men differently.
0: Talk to men differently. (laughs) Of Um, course they don't know how it happens. Because. Of
1: course they don't know what to do. Because misogyny harms men to the same extent it harms women. it just allows them not to be tender and loving and kind. Yeah. It's different. Yeah. Um, And the way you can find me is you can find me at drmelissabird.com and on most social media platforms at birdgirl1001.
0: Okay. Thank you. Have a great day. I'm very impressed by your early morning conversational skills. <laughs> I would not, not have made it through this conversation at six o'clock in the morning. So well done. Thank you. <laughs> See you around. I'll look forward to your next phone call. All right. Talk to you soon.